This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, are you ready for Joe Biden's $2 trillion climate plan? As one of his campaign promises, the former vice president is touting the opportunity to build a more resilient, sustainable economy, one that will put the United States on an irreversible path to achieve net zero emissions economy-wide by no later than 2050, and in the process, create millions of good-paying jobs. He also says his plan will set us on an irreversible course to meet the ambitious climate progress that science demands. Well, the irreversible course part of this should concern all of us, but with this ambitious proposal, is Joe Biden more interested in controlling the climate or is he really more interested in controlling you? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Cal, so good to have you with us again. How are you? Hey, great to be with you, Janet. Thank you very much. Doing fine. Wonderful. I am too. So far, so good. I'm not liking this plan very much, but let's start with Biden's plan (laughs) regarding the power sector, because he says he wants to move ambitiously to generate clean American-made electricity to achieve a carbon pollution-free power sector by 2035. How exactly would he accomplish that? What should we know about this plan? Well, Janet, you know, when I first read uh, Biden's plan, I was reminded of uh, a time when an economist uh, came upon a uh, a group of people uh, digging a canal. They were using shovels. And he asked, why are you using shovels when you could bring in, you know, big major earth moving equipment and do the job a whole lot faster and a whole lot cheaper? And the answer was, well, we wanted to create jobs. (laughs) And the economist said, well, if that's what you wanted to do, why didn't you equip the people with spoons instead of shovels? Wow. You could create a lot more jobs and spend a lot more money, you know, pay them a lot more money over a longer period of time. You know, the fact is that jobs are not the purpose of any, you know, the, the proper purpose of any legislation. Jobs are actually a cost, not a benefit. Yes. And what we want is what the jobs produce. But we want that produced in the most cost-effective way. And that's the problem with Biden's plan. He wants to substitute what he calls clean, carbon-pollution-free energy for the energy that now gives us uh, roughly 80% of all the the energy that we use in America. Uh, That's fossil fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, The problem is that you can't do that without spending vast amounts of money that doesn't need to be spent. Um, There are more problems than that. I mean, (laughs) the sun isn't always shining, so solar isn't always generating. The wind isn't always blowing, so wind turbines aren't always generating. And consequently, you have to to provide power twice because of those. You have to have... 
conventional plants running at what's called spinning reserve so that they can uh, ramp up instantaneously any moment as solar or wind slack off in order to keep the grid stable and prevent brownouts, blackouts, surges, and the like. the, The whole thing is economic nonsense. And besides that, it is simply not possible. There is no way. I mean, every single serious study by energy engineers, by economists, whoever, of of what it would take to to revamp our entire energy infrastructure so that we get completely away from the use of fossil fuels to the point where where we are so-called carbon neutral has concluded it's not possible. It's not possible by 2030, not possible by 2050, not possible by 2100. It takes generations for an entire energy infrastructure to be overturned. Right. Well, and you and I have discussed this before, regardless of what these leftists want the United States to do. If you don't have China or India on board, you're not going to eliminate enough greenhouse gases to get where they want to go anyway. So what's the point? Well, I mean, this is such a ruse and yet they keep on pushing it. Well, you have to wonder really about the motivations. I mean, here's here's the basic empirical science of it. You could wipe the entire United States off the map, get rid of all of its people, all of its energy use, therefore all of its carbon dioxide emissions. And you know what you would do to global average temperature in the year 2100? You would be you would reduce it by less than a tenth of a degree Celsius. Wow. Wow. That's I mean, and and instead we're talking about trying to reach carbon neutral for yeah. the for the U.S. Uh, that wouldn't even have that big an effect. And frankly, by the way, the cost is going to far exceed the two trillion dollars that uh, Biden's plan cites, because the reality is that it's going to be an ongoing cost every year from now. To, you know, for as long as, as we're going to try to do this. Right. Bjorn Lomborg um, uh, calculated, for example, that implementing the Paris Climate Agreement would cost one to two trillion dollars per year through the end of this century and would reduce global average temperature by only three tenths of a degree Fahrenheit by that time. Crazy. That's <laughs> that means crazy. we're spending 23.3 to 46.6 trillion dollars per tenth of a degree Fahrenheit temperature reduction, right. that's not a good deal. Right. As we're pouring out trillions trying to get people back on their feet right now with a pandemic, what do we just have, $85 trillion in the bank to spend? I mean, we're we're trillions in debt already. We don't have the money <laughs> for this. You know, I mean, it's yeah. not just the insanity of the plan. It's also the financial impossibility of being able to provide that kind of money, unless you just go nuts on taxes on people. Now, something else that he mentions in this plan, and there are many things that we can talk about. But when he's talking about housing, for example, he says that he wants to spur the construction of 1.5 million sustainable homes and housing units, and then talks about providing every American city with 100,000 or more residents with high quality, zero emissions, public transportation options. So what? good luck on that. But what are you going to hurt us all into cities? I thought with this pandemic, we've learned why cities may not be such a great idea, especially at a time when they're defunded police right and left. Yeah, precisely. Um, you know, there, there are all sorts of ulterior motives involved in the entire climate uh, climate alarmist movement. 
And one of those movements, one of those motives is increasing government control over people's lives. You can do that if you can get people to think that you have to give government complete control of energy policy, because after all, energy function, you know, energy is, is part of absolutely everything we do to grow food, to make clothing, to make shelter, to move people around, to transport goods and services. Everything takes energy. So if you can get people to think that you need to control that for their safety, well, then you can control their lives. Right. But how in the world, when, whenever we've seen things like high-speed rail, which has been one of the darling projects of the left for quite a while, it never quite works in a lot of these locations. Where, you know, like at California and some of these other locations where they've really said, yeah, high-speed rail is going to solve everything. How in the world are they going to have transit in every single American city with 100,000 people or more high-quality zero emissions? I mean, how would you even do that? Well, it's, it's not going to happen in part simply because Americans are, are accustomed and very much committed to a degree of freedom that just simply won't suit with that. Right. Um, now, if, I, if you don't mind, quickly going back to this business about uh, these, these homes that are going to be made more energy efficient in order to reduce emissions uh, and modifying already existing buildings. The studies done on that over and over again show that even though you might reduce energy consumption in those buildings by doing that, what that does is it saves people money that they then spend on other things which themselves need energy to produce. Hmm. And so the net effect is actually an increase in carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, This kind of thing has been shown again and again by economic studies. But unfortunately, Mr. Biden doesn't seem to pay much attention. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll take a break. We'll come back with Dr. Cal Beisner talking about Joe Biden's $2 trillion climate plan. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer in Asia, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ is found lacking, we're urged to help meet their need. These Christians live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of the gospel, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's word, and your gift today lets them know they're remembered. For only $5, believers like Hyo in China and Miriam in Nepal will receive a Bible, be discipled in their new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. Listeners, we're grateful you've generously sent Bibles to more than 2,000 Christians in Asia. Please help us send more with Bible League International. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for 
for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Dr. Cal Beisner joining me, founder and national spokesman for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. You can check them out online at cornwallalliance.org. Lots of good articles there. And Cal, we were talking about Joe Biden's $2 trillion climate change plan, and he's got all sorts of pie-in-the-sky promises that he's put forward on his website talking about what he's going to do to create this wonderful new green paradise that we're all going to enjoy so much. But you were pointing out before we went to the break when he's talking about spurring on the construction of 1.5 million sustainable homes and housing units. You're pointing out here, even if you save money and you have energy in one area here with these homes, you have money then that you're going to spend on other things that also need energy. My question is, getting rid of fossil fuels, how in the world would you even do that? You would have to get rid of oil. You would have to get rid of fracking, wouldn't you? Also natural gas, would that go as well? Sure, absolutely. And the result would be that all energy becomes much more more uh, uh, expensive for everybody who uses it. Right. The reason for that is uh, fairly simple physics and, and, and mechanical and, and uh, energy engineering. Uh, wind and solar are very, very low density energy sources. Uh, you know, just just think about how little energy there is in the wind as it's blowing uh, per cubic meter, for example, of air, right? right. Um, now compare that with coal or with oil or with natural gas. Uh, basically, the, the more dense your source is, the less transformation has to happen to get that to the density that we require for actual use in electricity or in a transport fuel. And so that's why wind and solar are always going to be more expensive than coal, oil, and natural gas. Makes sense. So when he uses a term like he does in this plan, environmental justice, that just warms the cockles of my heart reading about that. (laughs) Ensure that environmental justice is a key consideration in where, how, and with whom we build, creating good union, middle-class jobs and communities left behind. I guess he's talking about West Virginia, where coal is now going to be gone under Joe Biden. But environmental justice, can you unpack that term and tell us what that really means? Well... (laughs) Every time you put uh, put a uh, modifier in front of the word justice, uh, people ought to be alarmed. Right. It's, it's not always wrong. I mean, we re- we might talk about punitive justice, that is justice in punishments. Uh, punishments should be just. Uh, you don't you know you, you don't electrify a guy for you know for petty theft. Right. Uh, but neither should you just do a slap on the wrist for murder. Um, but when we talk about social justice or environmental justice or, or gender justice, things like this, what that always tends to signal is that we're getting away from the fundamental definition of justice and we're going to some sort of a preconceived notion of, of proper outcomes. So with environmental justice, what they, uh, what they seem to be thinking about is, is, uh, 
making sure that everybody enjoys the same environmental quality. The problem with that is that it's not realistic. It's not something that you can achieve in the real world. For example, if you live in Colorado, you're going to live with a background radiation uh, level that is many times higher than the background radiation level in, say, Missouri. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just inevitable because of the nature of the, of the uh, geology. If you live in a big city, you're going to live with, uh, with, with noise levels that exceed noise levels in, in rural places. And so you cannot guarantee everybody the same environmental outcomes. But here's my biggest beef with Biden saying that his plan is the pursuit of environmental justice. His plan, by increasing energy prices for everybody, is going to do the exact opposite of what, <laughs> uh, of what the progressive movement, of which he is certainly a part, has always uh, said that it wants to do. It doesn't actually do it, but it, it says it wants to do it. And that is, it wants to improve the lot of poor people <laughs> relative to rich people. <laughs> it wants to narrow the gap between poor and rich. Well, here's the problem. Poor people spend a much higher percentage of their income on energy than do middle class and wealthy people. Consequently, when you raise energy prices, which is what would happen with, Dr. with, with Biden's plan, when you raise energy prices, that means you hit the poor harder than you hit the, the middle class and the rich. Yes. And so the result is it's, it's just as if you were imposing an, a, a regressive tax system. Biden supports progressive taxes. That is, he wants to tax the rich at a higher percentage rate on their incomes than the poor. That's a fundamental idea of progressivism. Well, <laughs> raising energy prices is going to tax, quote unquote, uh, the poor at a higher rate than the rich, because the rich don't, just don't spend as high a proportion of their income on energy as do the poor. Right, right. So, so it's, it's the opposite of what they think is justice. Yeah, you're right about that. And I think a lot of people have not given that much thought, but you're absolutely correct when you explain it in that very clear way. So what we're looking at here, it would seem, with all of these proposals that Biden is making, that if he were able to implement this $2 trillion climate change plan, life as we know it would be very different. Do we know much about what effect it really would have on the average American. We talked a little bit about prices going up and those sorts of things, taxes going up. But would we lose our air conditioning? Would we all be forced out of our cars? What What is the end goal here, the nirvana that these progressives are seeking? Well, <laughs> you know, some of them really do seek returning us to a pre-industrial society. Uh, more radical environmentalists do think that that's the only way that, that humanity can have a sustainable relationship with the earth. I think that's absolute poppycock. Yeah. Uh, most environmentalists are not that radical. Uh, but there are an awful lot of people who want to get rid of the individual uh, family automobile and get everybody using nothing but public transportation. Uh, they, you know, they, they do want people using less air conditioning and less heat. Um, we know the result of that, by the way, uh, from in, in the United Kingdom, because electricity prices rose so much in response to the UK's getting rid of lots of coal-fired power plants and replacing them with wind and solar, 
that increase in energy prices led to an increase in what the British call energy poverty or fuel poverty, which is spending more than 10% of income just on energy. And that, in turn, led to more people having to decide they couldn't afford both food and heating for their homes mm. in the cold winters. Mm. So, excess winter premature deaths in the United Kingdom rose every year from about 2009 to about 2018 uh, to the point where they, they had gone to more than 35,000 more than before that price increase occurred. Well, much of America is a whole lot colder than that. Yeah. And we would see a, a much larger death toll if we were to see that happen here. Wow, that that's very disturbing, and we don't don't want that here at all. You're exactly right. Really, when we're looking at this plan, then do you see it as a way of controlling America more than controlling climate? Ultimately, I mean, when you're looking at oh, these facts absolutely. and fi- yeah, these facts and figures you're giving us, it's obvious it's not going to make a substantive difference in terms of the climate at all. The goal here is what. The, the goal here is imposing a predetermined uh, vision of American society on Americans rather than allowing them, Americans to choose for themselves what kind of society, what kind of, of social interactions they want to have. Uh, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a, a different plan that I want to put forth uh, instead of Biden's <laughs> energy plan, and that is for the United States to simply get out of not just the Paris Climate Agreement, which we're already doing, we will be out of that as of November 4, the day after the election, uh, but we need to get out of the whole United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which has been the body driving all of this stuff. Good. And uh, the Cornwall Alliance is offering as a gift to, to, to say thank you for, for donations of any size this month, Don Deers' new book, Clexit, for a Brighter Future, the case for withdrawing from United, United Nations climate treaties. So if your listeners would go to cornwallalliance.org and make a donation of any size and then just ask for the book Clexit, that's C-L-E-X-I-T, to climate exit, right? Okay. Uh, we'll be glad to send them a free copy of this. Good deal. That's great. Cornwallalliance.org. You can check it out. And very quickly, Cal, before I need to let you go, when we are looking at this plan and when you're talking about the U.N., if we were to pull out from the U.N. and pull out from some of the treaties that we're tied to, what advantage would that give us? Well, for one thing, it would it would set us free from all the demands uh, of being involved in an international treaty, which, according to our Constitution, becomes part of the supreme law of the land, right? Yes, yes. As long as we're part of the Framework Convention on Climate Change, we're stuck with abiding by the various uh, uh, protocols of that treaty as they come along. We can get out of that. We can save the hundreds of millions of dollars every year that we're pouring into that. We won't then be subject to the Paris Climate Agreement's uh, requirement that the developed world uh, transfer $100 billion a year to the developing world, which, by the way, never really reaches the poor people in those countries. It tends to wind up in the Swiss bank accounts of the bureaucrats who (laughs) administer it. Uh, But, 
you know, we would be out of all of that. We could run our own lives. I mean, this is exactly what what Britain did with Brexit. Yes, they got out of the European Union so they could control their own lives, and already things are going much better there. Uh, we can do it with Plexit. I love it. Well, you can go to CornwallAlliance.org for more information. Cal Beisner with us as always. Cal, great to have you here. Thanks a lot for being with us. Janet, thanks so much. God bless. You bet. God bless you, too. Thanks for being here. We'll be back. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. I want to talk a little bit about Antifa or Antifa. How do you pronounce it? We'll just go with one of those. There was a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing headed up by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas this week talking about Antifa, talking about the roots of Antifa, talking with people who were testifying against Antifa and talking a little bit about what their goals are, who they are, how they're funded, all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was important enough that we should play some of this so you can hear it for yourself since you likely won't sit down and watch a three and a half hour hearing on YouTube. At least I don't have that kind of time either. I went to this website. This is just as an intro to this whole topic. RefuseFascism.org is an Antifa group. This is the group that Project Veritas recently infiltrated, and they had an organizer on tape saying that they were funded by George Soros. Who's surprised? But listen to some of the language that they use on this website. They say, as Trump threatens the elections and sends fascist stormtroopers into cities, stay in the streets in August, build for United Nationwide mass protest Saturday, September 5th. Demand Trump Pence out now. Now listen to the rest of this, a little bit of it anyway. We are speeding toward an election that Trump is already contesting and now threatens to delay. He's not going to delay the election. This election, if there is an election, will be a showdown over the form of rule in this country. Now consider the weight of that remark. This election, if... There is an election. If will be a showdown over the form of rule in this country. That's a very different nomenclature than saying the election that is coming up in November will be a chance for Americans to decide who they want to represent them in Washington. That's not this. Form of rule is the language of insurrection. It's the language of revolution. Will the Trump-Pence regime hold on to power and be given a mandate to violently suppress dissent and criminalize protest? I mean, these people are not against fascism at all. They're accusing Trump and Pence of being akin to Mussolini. I don't really think you could back that up. 
It's all about using the language that will get people freaking out in the streets and leftists dressing all in black and throwing things and setting fires and going to federal courthouses and trying to burn them to the ground. So they say there are two futures before us. Which one we get is up to us. Labor Day weekend has always marked the end of summer, but with the pandemic, we must mark the end of summer by making Labor Day weekend a turning point in the struggle to drive the Trump-Pence regime from power. They're not a regime. They're a duly elected executive branch of the federal government. Building a movement with the necessary strength and resolve to stay in the streets day after day, night after night, not stopping until our demand, Trump pants out now, is one. So they're saying throughout the month of August, leading up, they want people to stay in the streets and spread the call for September 5th protests and the urgent need to drive this regime from power through sustained nonviolent mass protest. Yeah, you guys are so nonviolent. Hold creative, determined actions around the country to project and amplify the demand Trump pens out now to millions here and around the world. Then a bunch of wage protests on August 28th. Get your knee off our next march on Washington. Maybe they'll play the full footage of the George Floyd incident, which came out just this week, thanks to, in fact, the UK press. No thanks to Keith Ellison, the attorney general of Minnesota, who likely didn't want that footage to come out because it really destroys the narrative that there was any sort of racial component whatsoever to what happened to George Floyd, which, of course, was very unfortunate and tragic. We all agree on that. But I want to go back to some of this testimony. Andy No is one of the people who has really been in the spotlight over exposing Antifa. He is a self-employed journalist, I think, at this point, going out in Portland and constantly putting things online and videos on the internet, showing people what's going on in Portland, which has been tremendous because the mainstream media largely will not tell the same story. They will not put all that footage on the news so you can see it and actually get the idea that perhaps the left isn't the best thing that ever happened to this country. I want to play a little bit of what he had to say about Antifa. Now, you might remember that Antifa violently gave him a very serious head injury not too long ago, which he discusses. This is Cut 6. They threatened to kill me and hurt my family. They almost succeeded last year when they surrounded me in the middle of downtown Portland. I was beaten so badly that I was hospitalized for subarachnoid hemorrhage. I still suffer from the, the effects of that injury. To this day, no one has been arrested. I'm apprehensive about speaking to Congress today, given that I'm a target, but I'm more afraid of the consequences of remaining silent. Unless we take action, what is happening in Portland today will soon be happening in cities across the country. What we've witnessed for more than two months in Portland are almost daily violent protests and riots led by Antifa. Even when they aren't starting fires, using explosives, and trying to maim officers, they leave threatening messages, such as decapitated pig heads outside the courthouse. Even after federal agencies agreed to pull back the visible presence starting July 30th, Antifa militants have attacked the Portland police building in a residential neighborhood on multiple occasions. Unfortunately, too many in the media have chosen to ignore or downplay this extremism masquerading as racial justice. Well, that's very, very true. And did you catch the part that coincides with what I just read to you from the Refuse Fascism website, that they want this to go on in cities across the country? We have seen some of these cities where this has taken place. We've seen... You know, Seattle, obviously, we've seen a little bit of stuff going on in Chicago, New York. They would love it if everybody were on board with what they're doing in every single city across America. 
Is that what America wants? Is that what America needs? Is that e pluribus unum? Of course not. These people need to be dealt with and dealt with strongly. Now, the Youth Liberation Front is one that Andy No identified as doing the damage in Portland, and they have some strategies for committing violent acts, which he talked about. Cut seven. Antifa has mastered the art of making its violence appear innocuous. For example, projectiles that look like water balloons can be filled with chemicals. Small slingshots can be used to project rocks, glass, and ball bearings into police lines. Umbrella tips can be fastened with discreet pocket knives. Powerful handheld lasers can cause serious damage to the eyes. Antifa and its allies have made rioting an art form in Portland. They have access to a rich stream of cash flowing from platforms like GoFundMe, Venmo, and Cash App. Any conspirator arrested in Portland is instantly bailed out and ready for the next night of violent protest. You see what's going on here? Even when arrests are made, as he just mentions, these people are bailed out. And you have to ask the question, why in the world are they allowed to raise money online? I know big tech is not exactly a bastion of conservatism. We understand that. But at the same time, this is something that needs to be dealt with, I think, by Congress, that we need to find a way to clamp down on the funding. We need to find a way to stop the money flow to these people. And it's going to be a challenge, no doubt. But the longer you wait, the more it gets entrenched and the more people will be unwilling to stand up against it. But it must be addressed because this is a very, very dangerous threat to the United States of America and to our republic, which is something else that Andy No addressed. Cut eight. I come to you today with a message for senators of both parties. Antifa's goal is not only to abolish the criminal justice system, it is to bring down the republic itself. Burn it down, they say. But don't take my word for it. Go read their literature, listen to their chants, and look at their graffiti messages. Portland is a canary in the coal mine for America. Look to my city to see what happens when a group like Antifa is left unchecked. Very important to listen to him because he's on the ground there. He knows what's going on. Again, Refuse Fascism says relying on the upcoming elections without a mass struggle now to demand the removal of the regime is a mistake with catastrophic consequences for people in this country and around the world. We cannot wait for the Trump-Pence regime to further delegitimize and degrade the elections. Just as the German people could not have stopped their genocidal fascist program without driving out Hitler and the Nazi regime, we must act with all our resolve to drive this regime, a 21st century fascist regime led by a demented bully with his finger on the nuclear trigger, out of power. Allowing a regime like this to consolidate its rule in the most powerful country in the world is to foreclose on a future for humanity and the planet. No, I'm much more concerned about the future of humanity and the planet if people like you were able to seize power, refuse fascism and Antifa. We're going to get into more. We'll take a short break and be back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. 
my four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28 and every gift helps. To donate, please call now 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We're talking a little bit about Antifa. I was very glad to see this testimony that was given by a number of people before the Senate Subcommittee on the Constitution, a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing headed up by Texas Senator Ted Cruz. This needs to become front burner stuff for the American people because it is too easy, I think, to turn off the news or to turn off your phone and to say, I don't want to see these crazies setting fire yet again to the federal courthouse in Portland, but we'd better pay attention. We had better pay attention. And one thing that comes to mind is the fact that when I was going through and reading the history of the Russian Revolution, one of the things that many people don't know is there was actually a student uprising in the late 1800s, which preceded the Bolshevik Revolution by about 18 years. And it was a top top down movement. You had elitists who really were driving that entire thing. But it wasn't like 1917 was the first indication that the Russians had that there were problems afoot. There were several events that preceded it that were very, very significant. And so this might not be the movement that does any serious damage to the republic. I pray not. But at every juncture, you've got to pay attention, just like people needed to pay attention back in the 60s. A lot of what we saw with the weather underground back in the 60s uh, is bearing fruit now. You know, good old Bill Ayers, the guy who helped launch the Obama campaign, the guy from the weather underground. Unbelievable stuff. So let's listen to one of the people who gave what I thought was a tremendous testimony, Kyle Scheidler. He's director and senior analyst for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism over at the Center for Security Policy, explaining who Antifa really is. This is cut one. Antifa is an anarcho-communist movement whose goal is to use physical violence and intimidation to terrorize American citizens, to disengage them from the political process. 
While they do this under the cover of anti-fascism, the reality is that Antifa defines the entire American political system, regardless of party affiliation, as fascism. Antifa developed out of the communist urban guerrilla and terrorist movements of the late 1960s and early 1970s, such as the Weather Underground and Germany's Red Army Faction. As a result, it possesses operational experience developed over more than half a century of radical left-wing organizing and political violence. Law enforcement has largely failed to understand the nature of this threat. Seeking a rigidly hierarchical organization, some analysts have even concluded, against all evidence, that Antifa does not exist in any meaningful sense. The reality is that Antifa demonstrates an elaborate but non-hierarchical structure. That is an important point, and they believe, if you listen closely there, that our entire system is fascist. It isn't just Trump, Pence, it's you. It's everybody who holds to American principles, the American founding, our ideals that have made this America great. Anybody who holds to that has to be taken down. What about the organization? This is cut two. The most basic structure of Antifa is the affinity group, which is described by the pro-Antifa website CrimeThink, as the essential building block of anarchist organization. It's a small cell of individuals who are known to one another who agree to come together to participate in direct actions. Those include sabotage, vandalism, and premeditated assault. Affinity groups then come together to form clusters, and a large cluster may organize actions using what are called spokes councils. Antifa chapters form at the city level and join regional networks such as Torch Antifa, the largest Antifa network in the United States, as well as national and international networks. Antifa websites describe in detail how to organize affinity groups and chapters, how to vet potential members, prevent infiltration, and securely communicate. Such websites play a key role in spreading propaganda, distributing new tactics, techniques, and procedures, and raising calls to action. Then he describes one Antifa website and its manual for Antifa chapters. Listen to cut three. One example, the Antifa website It's Going Down distributes a forming an Antifa group manual. Particularly noteworthy, the manual describes Antifa chapters as incurring obligations to support regional and national Antifa networks, who then in turn make greater resources available to chapters. This support extends internationally, with many American Antifa groups linked to the International Antifa Defense Fund, which has provided financial support to Antifa in 22 different countries. While overall dollar amounts are low, the International Antifa Defense Fund does represent clear evidence of organizational activity across national borders. Well, this is why we've got to get at the bottom of all of this, the funding, the support. This is a big network, and though it is kind of non-hierarchical, it definitely exists, and it definitely is spreading, and they have all sorts of plans that are very disturbing. What about some of the organizations that support them? I thought this was very interesting information as well. This is cut four. Antifa relies heavily on support organizations such as the Democratic Socialists of America, the International Workers of the World, Refuse Fascism, and the National Lawyers Guild, and in coordination with other protest organizations. It is not uncommon for Antifa to require outside groups to sign what are essentially memorandums of understanding to ensure that allies agree not to interfere with criminal activity in exchange for protection. Now, who pays for Antifa? This is one of the most important things because Kyle Scheidler pointed out that terrorism is a low-cost form of warfare. Did you know that 9-11 cost less than $500,000? Isn't that amazing? So let's listen. Cut five. 
They use a variety of methods to fundraise, including crowdfunding technology. The International Antifa Defense Fund has so far raised more than $53,000 via the crowdfunding website Fundraiser. While some of these crowdfunding companies are officially content neutral, others are explicitly ideological and only facilitate Antifa and similar projects. Antifa chapters also raise funds through event admission fees, cash donations, and by selling merchandise at anarchist book fairs. And many of their needs are provided free of charge by their allied organizations. These provide armed and unarmed training for Antifa members at no or low cost, and support organizations cover most major expenses, such as transportation, bail, and lawyers' fees. Other organizations, such as RiseUp.net, provide chapters with free access to secure servers, communication tools, and computer applications. Far from being non-existent, Antifa possesses as elaborate a structure as any criminal conspiracy or terror group. Claiming that Antifa is too disorganized to understand should not be an acceptable excuse for law enforcement, federal, state, or local, to tolerate Antifa's private street war to overthrow the Constitution. Like their predecessors in the Weather Underground and Red Army faction, Antifa will continue to escalate its behavior unless it is checked. There will be more attacks, and rioting techniques will continue to grow in capability and in sophistication. Their cadres will grow, and there will be more autonomous zones for increased periods of time and more Americans of all political persuasions will be terrorized. Now, something else that is related to what you just heard there from Kyle Scheidler was the testimony of Terry Turchi, described by American Greatness as the driving force behind the capture of two notorious domestic terrorists, including the Unabomber. Continually on the run from the FBI, the weather underground movement eventually petered out, Turchi had noted, but not before they released a manifesto that lived on. And this is relevant because... Modern-day Antifa is taking its cues from the Weather Underground, as you just heard. Turchi said, in 1974, they authored a document called Prairie Fire, and they outlined their strategy, and they outlined the way they could get to that strategy and actually bring down the U.S. government. Who is it authored by? Bill Ayers, Bernadine Dorn, and other members of the Weather Underground saying the only path to the final defeat of imperialism and the building of socialism is revolutionary war. Revolution is the most powerful resource of the people. To wait to not prepare people for the fight is to seriously mislead about what kind of fierce struggle lies ahead. Revolutionary war will be complicated and protracted. It includes mass struggle and clandestine struggle, peaceful and violent, political and economic, cultural and military, where all forms are developed in harmony with the armed struggle. Without mass struggle, there can be no revolution. Without armed struggle, there can be no victory. It will not be immediate, for the enemy is entrenched and intractable. It will require lengthy, deliberate, political, and armed, dot, dot, dot. So Churchy says, what was their strategy? It was resistance, comparing them to today's Democrats. Not too long, maybe five minutes after President Trump won the election, Democrat Party leaders came out and said, we're going to resist. We're going to embark upon a strategy of resistance of the president. Churchy noted that the document contained six strategies that the Weather Underground felt would help overthrow the United States government including fomenting racial hostility through the false allegations of systemic racism and police racism. And get this, the Weather Underground, like Antifa, also sought to attack and dethrone God. You wonder why we're seeing footage of Bibles being burned and crosses being attacked in Portland? What do you think this struggle ultimately is? It is a struggle against God, against authority, against God's rule, against God's preeminence over his creation. 
It's all pure rebellion. Destroy, destroy, destroy. And it's up to the good people of the United States, those of us who know that God is in control, to stand up against it. Lest evil wins. This hour, Janet Meffer today has been brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send more Bibles to needy Christians in Asia for $5. You can send a Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Thank you for being with us. God bless.